This paid program may not represent the views of Hubbard Broadcasting Incorporated or Federal News Radio. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Radio does not take responsibility for those statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. Welcome to the Business of Government Hour, a conversation about management with a government executive who is changing the way government does business. The Business of Government Hour is produced by the IBM Center for the Business of Government, which was created in 1998 to encourage discussion and research into new approaches to improving government effectiveness. You can find out more about the center by visiting us on the web at businessofgovernment.org. And now, the Business of Government Hour. Welcome to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host and leadership fellow at the IBM Center for the Business of Government. Since its inception, the U.S. Department of Homeland Security, DHS, has been charged with leading the national effort to secure the homeland, protecting the country from terrorists and instruments of terror, while at the same time fostering the country's economic security through lawful travel and trade. In meeting this mission, an important mission, DHS relies on a focused procurement and acquisition strategy. So what is DHS's procurement strategy? What are the key procurement and acquisition challenges facing the U.S. Department of Homeland Security? And how is DHS improving the operational performance of its procurement function? We'll explore these questions and so much more with our very special guest, Soraya Correa, Chief Procurement Officer at the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. Also joining our conversation from IBM is Don Finhagen. Well, welcome to the show, Soraya. Thank you. Don, welcome back as always. Thank you. Soraya, what is the mission of the U.S. Department of Homeland Security's Office of Chief Procurement Officer? So the Office of the Chief Procurement Officer is responsible for the procurement of goods and services on behalf of the Department of Homeland Security. Specifically, I'm responsible for overseeing and managing the workforce of approximately 1,400 people in our procurement community that actually accomplish those buys. I set policy, uh, procedures, I do oversight, and then I work in conjunction with other federal agencies to support our mission objectives. How do you support the other DHS components and and the DHS overall mission? So one of the things that we do is make sure that we have the proper policies and procedures in place for all the organizations to follow. But I also delegate authority to heads of contracting activity. Today, we have 10 heads of contracting activity that support 10 major components of the Department of Homeland Security. And so they are responsible for the day-to-day operations within their area of expertise. So whether it's the USCIS head of contracting, the Customs and Border Protection, Immigration Customs Enforcement, TSA, et cetera. They are responsible for the day-to-day execution of the contracts. I I provide oversight, guidance, direction, and, of course, I provide the strategic priorities of the department when it comes to procurement. So I set their goals for small business, competition, those kinds of things. A day in the life is more or less I'm on the phone quite a bit and meetings quite a bit, talking to the various organizations and looking at things from a strategic standpoint, right, to make sure that the components are sharing information, sharing contracts 
back sometimes or making sure that if there are any obstacles, any concerns that they have, that we're addressing them at the DHS level because I'm responsible for the entire line of business that is procurement. So with such a, a wide portfolio for a very large department, what would you say are your top management challenges and how have you sought to address those? Sure. So my top management challenges are very similar to probably most senior procurement executives in CFO or Chief Financial Officer Act agencies. And the first one and the most important one is always workforce, getting the right people with the right skills and being able to retain them. Uh, especially in, in the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, and we have a large concentration of workforce in this area, uh, it's a highly competitive environment for people in the contracting profession. And so what happens is sometimes I'm competing with agencies that can pay more mm-hmm. or agencies that have a significantly lesser workload or less pressure. Supporting an agency like the Department of Homeland Security comes with a lot of challenges just by the mission that we serve. You know, the work that we do, whether it's at the U.S. Secret Service, the Coast Guard, Customs and Border Protection, those are very changing and competing priorities and can be a very high-pressure environment at times. So I'm competing sometimes with agencies that don't have to deal with those massive workloads, those competing and changing priorities. But that's what makes the job exciting as well. So one of my top challenges is finding that right workforce, that right individual that not only understands the procurement and what that has to be done, but also enjoys and understands supporting a mission like that of DHS. Because as I like to tell my workforce all the time, the job of procurement is to support the mission. It's to enable the mission. And so it's not about writing a contract. It's about delivering on that mission. And so you have to have that right attitude, that right desire to achieve those objectives. Um, I would say the second challenge is dealing with the standard concerns that all of us have, which is there's a great deal of oversight. There's oversight not only from the Government Accountability Office, the IG, the Hill, and it's all appropriate oversight. Let me add that. I mean, I understand why it's done. Obviously, we're working with taxpayer dollars and we have to have integrity in the process. But there's also oversight just from media, from even our industry partners. And so it's making sure that we maintain that right level of compliance and mission achievement, because it's extremely important to to balance that. Everything can't be 100 percent dotted every I, crossed every T, because if you're doing that, you might not be achieving the mission. You might not be getting things out as quickly as they need to. But it is important to strike that right balance, teach people that right balance, and keep that going all the time. I would say those are the two biggest challenges. Sometimes people will say that a third challenge is the protest that we get. Me, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that because protest is part of the procurement process, and it is our responsibility to, A, do the procurement right, Uh, B, provide the right level of information to industry that hopefully deters a protest. Uh, But C, I would also say that when the protest comes, it's our job to make sure that we can defend what we did and take the right actions. Do you see them increasing over the last couple of years? I haven't haven't noticed a significant increase or decrease. I think it's pretty much about the same. Uh, I think it varies by commodities or services that you buy. Um, I also think it varies by how we approach procurement, right, how we do our procurements. Um, And, you know, the more competitive the market is, the more likely you are to get protests. It's great. And shifting gears a little bit. Can you tell us a little bit about your career path and how did all these roles that you've taken leading up to now prepare you for your current leadership position? Oh, wow. You have a whole day for me to answer that? No, <laughs> just kidding. No, I uh, I came into the government 
very long time ago. I've been in government for 39 years. Actually, I'm in my 40th year of service. Um, but I came in as a clerk typist, and I took a job that turned into a fantastic career. Um, and my career path has been an interesting one because um, uh, I knew about procurement. My father was in procurement, so I, so I had a mentor in the business, so to speak. But I took a job, and then I landed in this procurement career, which I'm extremely passionate about. From my clerk typist job, I moved over to the Department of Navy, and I was a contract specialist in a program office working in Navy diving and salvage. So it was kind of a, like a unique set up. And I, and I always credit that position, that job that I had there with instilling in me a passion for mission, understanding the importance of mission and how it related to my job. And it's something that I carry with me throughout my career and as a lead or something that I try to instill in my folks. But from Navy, I went on and I worked for GSA, believe it or not, at Federal Acquisition Service for a while, what is today a Federal Acquisition Service, worked on GSA schedules. From there, I went to NASA headquarters, had the opportunity to work on a couple of space station procurements and a couple of other odds and ends. But there I met some interesting people who ended up going to Immigration and Naturalization Services to become the CIO. And they invited me over to become their acquisition program manager. So I left procurement, became a program manager or the customer of procurement. Did that for about 10 years. So it gave me a very different perspective on the job. And then I had the opportunity when we stood up the Department of Homeland Security, I was part of INS that we rolled into Immigration and Customs Enforcement. I had the opportunity to come back into procurement and became the head of contracting at ICE and then came to Office of Procurement Operations at headquarters. And I went back to the program side at USCIS and then they called me and offered me the chief procurement officer. So my journey has been an interesting one. And here's what I would say. A couple of things. In all those positions, what always drove me was the mission, the desire to help the programs achieve their mission. And I think I was a pretty good CEO because I always took off that CEO hat and said, what are we trying to do? What are we trying to get to? I was always willing to talk to industry, uh, had a firm commitment for helping my program offices engage with industry to understand what they needed to do. And I cared about the profession that I'm in. I really cared about um, the people that I trained because very early on in my career, trainees would get assigned to me. Interns would get assigned to me. Uh, I became a supervisor in my mid-20s and found that I liked it. I enjoyed uh, managing people. And that sounds a little insane. People who are supervisors go, are you kidding? But I really liked it. And I... I think I fell into leadership naturally. I felt comfortable with it. I felt comfortable with making decisions and challenging perspectives and, and trying new things. And my brand of procurement, my style, my approach is what I want people to adopt. I don't want people to be fearful of oversight and compliance. I want them to feel comfortable doing that. I want them to feel a part of the mission, a partner with the program, a team player, because that's really what procurement is. It's a team sport. I, I want to follow up with that. And it kinda, you kind of hinted at it, but I'd like to go a little deeper. And that is, uh, what makes an effective leader? What principles do you follow in order to lead your organization? So when I came into this position, I, I laid out four major priorities that I have. And that is, first and foremost, inspiring and motivating people. Notice I didn't say my people, inspiring people, because I should be inspiring them as a leader. I should be inspiring and motivating everybody who comes in my, in my sphere, whether they work for me or they're part of teams that are supporting us. So it means engaging with my peers as well as my staff, even my own leadership. The second one is delivering exceptional results. 
We are there to deliver exceptional, not just to write contracts, to deliver results, to make sure that those contracts that we write meet the mission objectives, fulfill the needs of those programs, those frontline personnel who are doing the day-to-day job. The third one is enhance mission capabilities. In other words, use our contracts and our vehicles to promote the objectives of the department, to promote the principles of good program management and good support. And then fourth, and most importantly, enhance and promote meaningful communications. And when I talk about meaningful communications, I talk not only internally to DHS with my folks, Mm -hmm. but across the spectrum that is the federal government, industry, overseers. So one of the things that I try to do is make sure that I get out and help people understand what we do, how we do it, and why we do it. Those are my four guiding principles, if you were, my four priorities that I have set for the organization. And if you look at those, those four priorities, they endure the test of time, and they are the key principles of good leadership. I believe a good leader has to know how to communicate, collaborate, coordinate, and be consistent. And I actually throw those four C's at people all the time. Communication. Communication is like not just about talking to folks, but listening and understanding and making sure that we're getting information out there and getting information into our organization. Collaboration, because you, it's a team sport. Like I said, you got to work with your peers. You have to work with all the members of the management community that support the program offices. We have to partner with our programs and we have to partner with the industries that support us. And then coordinate. We are responsible for bringing teams together and making things happen. And then being consistent, having that credibility, consistently communicating, sharing information, and consistently doing our job in the same way so people can understand what we do. What is the U.S. Department of Homeland Security's acquisition strategy? We'll ask Soraya Correa, Chief Procurement Officer at the U.S. Department of Homeland Security, when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. To support government financial performance and accountability, financial systems must meet certain standards, and relying on outdated financial systems inhibits progress. ERP vendors are encouraging clients to move to the cloud and consider new technologies such as robotic process automation, blockchain, and AI to enhance financial productivity. Download the IBM Center Report Financial Management for the Future at businessofgovernment.org to learn why and how government can evolve to meet the demands of a digital world. The Ebola crisis in West Africa from 2014 to 2016 was an epidemic that put emphasis on global capacity to respond to international disasters. How can government better assess the needs of those affected and help them? The IBM Center Report Responding to Global Health Crisis by Professor Jennifer Whitner breaks down the U.S. response to the Ebola crisis and provides insights on lessons learned that may aid the government responses in the future. Download your free copy, Responding to Global Health Crisis, at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Soraya Correa, Chief Procurement Officer at the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. Also joining me from IBM is Don Fenhagen. In the previous segment, you, you identified your four strategic priorities. 
I'd like to ask you, how are you executing on these priorities? Um, so when I established those priorities, one of the things that I did is I brought the team in, as I like to say, my heads of contracting, as well as the staff that directly supports me to talk about those priorities, to help me shape those priorities. So I didn't build them in a vacuum. I said, I have an idea. Here are some of the things that I'm thinking about, but let's talk about what these things mean. So when you hear those four priorities, when you hear words like inspire and motivate people, deliver exceptional results, enhance mission capabilities, and promote meaningful communications, you're hearing the voice of procurement across the department. And that does include the heads of contracting activity and my folks that work with us. But how we execute is we publish a strategic plan. But I took a different tack when I published my strategic plan a couple of years ago. I wrote the strategic plan for our employees, not for bookshelf material, but really to talk to the employees. So it's simple, it's succinct, it explains what my my priorities are and what are some of the goals we're going to try to achieve. So for example, under Inspire and Motivate People, I talk about the kind of training that we're going to provide. I talk about how we're going to engage with our employees, regular communications. Uh, I talk about how we're enhancing the approach to training. So we deliver training to them as opposed to they come to the training. I talk about our intern program or our acquisition professionals career program and how we will continue to evolve it. When we talk about delivering exceptional results, I talk about improving business processes to promote mission objectives, to work with program officials and orient our folks on what our missions are and what we need to do to accomplish that mission. When I talk about exceptional results, I talk about my procurement innovation lab uh, and how we're going to innovate in procurement and use the flexibilities of the federal acquisition regulations. So my execution approach is about laying out some clear goals and objectives, but working as a team to come up with those goals and objectives so that I am serving the mission of my heads of contracting as well as my program officials. You see, I believe in the role of a servant leader, that, that as a leader, my job is to help my folks get their job done, to remove obstacles and provide opportunity and resources. And so I try to bring them to the table to have that conversation with me so that I know how I can help them. Uh, my most important customer is the heads of contracting at the different components and their customers. Those are my customers. Now, I'd like to explore the challenges and trends facing the federal acquisition community at large. I know you interact with a lot of different stakeholders across the federal government and have a lot of contacts. And are any of those challenges and trends unique to DHS as well? So maybe start broadly in federal mm -hmm. and then, you know, dive down to what's unique in DHS and some of the challenges you're facing right now. I would say that we share a lot of uh, challenges are very similar across the board. Um, you know, uh, getting out there and being able to find the right people, uh, recruit the right talent and retain that right talent, creating the opportunities to, to motivate them to stay in federal service, especially. Um, so I think that's probably the number one challenge. I think the second biggest challenge is, is our budgets, right? This year, we were fortunate enough to get a budget at, at the beginning of the year, but years past at DHS, and, and other agencies, uh, it's been a challenge to get a budget at the beginning of the year. And in fact, a lot of times it's coming pretty much midway through the year. So you're, you're operating off of continuing resolutions and that kind of hampers and hinders how you can do your procurements. And it causes us to award a lot of our contracts towards the end of the fiscal year. But I would say a challenge unique to DHS and agencies like DHS that are uh, protecting the homeland, uh, serving, serving those unique missions that are security related and law enforcement related is the ever-changing priorities. We don't know 
what the next threat is and where it's going to come from. And so from a procurement perspective, what I tell my community, our folks, is we have to be agile. We have to be flexible. We have to be innovative. We have to write those contracts in ways um, that promote maximum flexibility for the customers we serve because we really don't know what the next threat is and we don't know how we're going to have to adjust. And then for my senior leadership team, what I say is we got to think operationally. And that's one of the things, uh, having been a contracting officer and a contract specialist, served as an HCA, I bring that to the table. I bring that every day. I always remember what it was to be an operational CO. And so when we're thinking about policies and procedures, I'm always striking that balance of how do I support the operational units so that they can continue to do the job they need to do. And it, it seems from, uh, you know, you mentioned it earlier, one of the key tactics you've used to remain flexible and agile is is the pill, yeah. uh, the Procurement Innovation Lab. We hear a lot about it. Can you tell us a little bit about what it is, sure. how it works, and, uh, you know, how it's, how it's changed the way you do business? Yeah. So the Procurement Innovation Lab was this crazy idea I had uh, when I came in to be the chief procurement officer that... As part of inspiring and motivating people, one of the things I want people to do is bring the good ideas of how we can simplify and move procurements a little faster, a little bit more efficiently, a little bit more effectively. I did a survey. We actually did a survey of our staff. And about 70% of the staff, the biggest reason that they're not innovative and they don't try to do new things is because they fear the protests. They fear that oversight will criticize them. This is what's happened over years of, you know, reading publicly, you know, about bad contracts. It puts fear in people. And I want to remove that fear because I think the missions that we serve, the work that we're trying to do requires us to take a few risks. It means that we have to change our risk posture. You know, we have to think a little bit more aggressively, a little bit more assertively, and take good managed risks, right? So the Procurement Innovation Lab isn't a concept that I had, and my folks turned it into reality, where I said, what if I created a safe environment where I, as the leader of this organization, will stand with you and say, let's try some new approaches, some new ways of doing things. And if you're successful, well, you get to brag and tell everybody about it and teach others what you did. But if you fail, and I did use the word fail, I take that failure. I take responsibility as the leader of this organization. Because in order to get you to to be innovative, to try new things, then you have to know you're going to be supported. That's what people want. They want to know that somebody's going to stand with them and have their backs. And so that's what I've done. And the Procurement Innovation Lab, we stood it up with basically one person, believe it or not. And over time, it's expanded to a total of six people that I took out of hide. In other words, I pulled people from my own organization. And their job is really not to do the procurement, but to invite people in to tell them what they want to try, whether it's a new evaluation factor, a new approach to doing the pricing, uh, how a new approach to engaging with industry, whatever that may be, and coach them through that process. Think through from a from a, a, a policy and oversight standpoint, are there any things that you're trying to do that we can't do that, that are precluded? Mm-hmm. Are you maximizing the flexibilities that are in our regulations? And making sure that you brought the right team to the table program office, legal counsel, contracting, finance, if you need whoever it is that should be on that team so that you have a cohesive team going into this procurement and then achieve your objectives. And our goals there are real simple. A, remove the barriers to companies coming in and doing business with the government because many companies stay away because it's hard sometimes. But promote competition, ensure 
that we're going to get the right source, get the right solution at the right time that fulfills mission objectives and giving confidence, greater confidence to our evaluators, to the program offices that they're getting the right resource. And of course, the most important thing, that we fulfill mission objectives. You will always hear me say that because I keep telling people at the end of the day, that's what this is all about. It doesn't matter if I wrote you a perfect contract. If that perfect contract doesn't meet the mission, then we failed. And my goal is to move the procurement cycle a little faster and maybe along the way create a better partnership with industry, have industry have a little bit more confidence in what we're doing so that there is a little bit more trust built in. And maybe if we have a little more trust, we might minimize some of those protests. So with this taking off and you're really making some progress, are there any, you know, really big lessons learned and proven techniques that you, you've experienced and, you know, maybe some some big wins that you've had? And and then, you know, finally, is there is there anything that you're currently working on in the pill right now that uh, you want to share? So, so first and foremost, we've had several big wins, and we've had a couple of flops. I mean, you know, and that and that happens. And I said, I'll stand behind my flops, and I do. But the big wins are that more and more people are embracing. So I didn't go into this just to write a bunch of great contracts or to make the contracts go well. I really did this to inspire people to say, we could try new ways. We could try new approaches. We could try new things. And we have to work together at doing that. And so I think the big biggest achievement is that I am seeing. When we started the pill, I think the first year, most of the projects came out of the two heads of contracting that reported to me. Now we have projects across the entire department. We've not only used the pill to enhance procurements, but we've changed business practices, how we do contract closeouts, uh, how we do our acquisition planning activities, how we engage with industry. So the pill has been our tool to say, bring us ideas and let's see if we can look at these ideas and innovate and come up with better ways to do this. Probably our biggest accomplishments are that in the evaluation process, We've helped people understand you don't need a ton of paper. You do need more conversations with industry, more engagement with industry, not only engagement before you put out the solicitation, but throughout the solicitation process and even during the evaluation. Uh, Some of the best accomplishments, I would say, is what we call our show me, don't don't tell me approach. Come demonstrate your product or your service. Come show me how that works. Come have a conversation with me. Uh, Oral presentations, down selects, where we do voluntary down selects, where we tell industry, send us a short video, YouTube video. We don't want it to be expensive. Telling us your capabilities, and we'll tell you if you're in the right track for this procurement. Uh, Group debriefings, where we bring all the companies together to talk about the business process that we follow to do the evaluations. I mean, I just go down the list. I mean, we've done quite a few of them. That, to me, is the biggest accomplishment, that people feel a little more empowered to think outside of the box, to approach procurement differently. And one of the things that we do in the pill that's a little bit different is we follow the procurement throughout the process. So we're meeting on a very regular basis with the team to see how they're progressing. We meet, I think it's biweekly, um, 15-minute meeting. How's it going? Running any problems? Do you have any questions? How can we help you? And then what we do at the end of the process when they award, we interview the players mm. and ask them how it went. And that does include industry the folks that win and the folks that didn't win. And then a year later, we're going back and interviewing the program manager and saying, are you still happy with the choice you made? Was that the right choice? Because that's an extremely important part. We want to know that they got the right solution. Exactly. 
And as a follow-up, a couple of questions here. You, obviously, throughout the conversation, mission first is sort of in your uh, – you've been saying that throughout. Yeah. And it's very interesting to pick up on Don's point earlier. When you're out with the federal community, procurement community, has anybody else in other departments kind of adopted this pill concept at all? Oh, yes. Oh, and, yes. And and what, did they use you as a sort of a guide for that? Or? Yeah. Um, so the Office of Federal Procurement Policy, which is, you know, our overarching uh, uh, line of business, if you will, organization at the White House, um, they – embraced this pill concept. As we went out and started briefing them, um, they really embraced it. In fact, they mentioned it in one of their memos. They they used it as one of the, the guidelines and said, you know, we want folks to be innovative in acquisition. And when they appointed Acquisition Innovation Advocates, we have an Acquisition Innovation Advocates Council. Uh, when they wrote that memorandum, they actually cited the pill and the work that we're doing. But here's what we've done, because I am about good government. It's not just about my agency. I really care about this profession. One of the things that I've done is I've shared with my fellow uh, senior procurement executives what we're doing. My Procurement Innovation Lab has hosted Procurement Innovation Lab boot camps um, for our f- workforce at DHS. And when I say our workforce, I mean our acquisition workforce, contracting, IT, program, engineering, legal counsel, whoever wants to come to those boot camps. But we also share that with our fellow federal agencies. We've, working with the Office of Federal Procurement Policy, we've hosted some that are federal-wide where other agencies come in. And every year we try to host two to four events for industry because I want industry to know what we're doing. I want them to give us ideas and suggestions and tell us what works and what doesn't work. So we're really out there trying to let the community know what we're doing, how we're doing it, because we want other agencies to learn. And what I'm finding is other federal agencies are adopting procurement innovation lab techniques or they're establishing their own procurement innovation lab environments or procurement innovation environments. Yeah. You know, we talked about the pill, a good example of sort of uh, readjusting your your risk appetite. Mm-hmm. When you think of the folks who seem to be engaged, the ones that are really innovative or really want to go in there and don't care about the far, or you know, and then the folks who are more res- reserved and w- want to wait for the policy. How organizationally, beyond the pill as an innovative concept, how has the risk appetite in your in your culture and your organizational culture shifted? Um, I think people understand that okay. to do the job that we do in this department to serve that mission, there is a certain level of risk that we have to take, that we just can't sit there and dot the I's and cross the T's and it's all going to go perfectly. Because here's the deal, and I, and I say this to our staff all the time, the people who would do harm to us, the people who threaten us, they don't have a FAR, Federal Acquisition Regulation. They don't have a Congress. They don't have a limited budget. They don't have any of those things that we worry about and that we respectfully have to abide by. That's what makes us good. But they move very quickly, and we got to find a way to do all those right things and move quickly. That is the role of us in the federal service, those of us who execute this mission. So we got to strike that balance, and that means we are going to take a few risks. But we got to take intelligent risks, right? We have to know what that risk is, have a mitigation strategy for it, and then communicate that out, communicate to our overseers and others um, what we're doing, why we're doing it the way we're doing it, and what those risks are and how we're, we're managing those risks. And one of the things that I really try to do is 
get out there and talk to those organizations, whether it's the Government Accountability Office, the Inspector General, uh, the, the Hill. I try to get out and communicate what we're doing, make sure that they understand what we're doing, why we're doing, and how we're doing it. For example, I'm like one of those crazy people that actually invites GAO and IG and staffers uh, to come to our training sessions, to come to our build, pill boot camps, to come to many of the briefings that I give because I want them to understand what we do. And if they have a concern, I want to hear it. How is the U.S. Department of Homeland Security improving its procurement operations? We will ask its chief procurement officer, Soraya Korea, when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. How does an agency decide upon and implement a performance management framework that will be successful for their specific administration? The IBM Center Report, a practitioner's framework for measuring results, follows the implementation and results of the CSTAT management framework in Colorado's Department of Homeland Security in hopes that it can guide others who may want to institute a similar approach. Download a practitioner's framework for measuring results by Melissa Wavelet on businessofgovernment.org today. Agile methodology has allowed for agencies to keep up with the growing demands for fast response to problem solving. The Opportunity Project, TOP, serves as a catalyst in adapting agile techniques to solve complex agency mission problems. TOP works with federal agencies to identify challenges and facilitate iterative approaches in response. In the IBM Center Report, Agile Problem Solving in Government, Joel Gurin and Katerina Ribello discuss the factors of success involved in TOP. Download your free copy today at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Soraya Korea, Chief Procurement Officer at the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. Also joining me from IBM is Don Fenhagen. So now I'm going to talk about how you're enhancing DHS's uh, procurement operations. And what I'm getting at is some of the initiatives around supporting proper contract administration. Sure. So first of all, um, to have good contract administration, you got to have good contracting, right? Uh, so one of the things that I did when I came in, uh, PIL was a subset of a series of initiatives that I stood up that I call Acquisition Innovations in Motion. I like really cool acronyms. Like, you know, there's a problem, take aim at it. Don't like procurement, take a pill. You know, that's my corny jokes for the day. But Acquisition Innovations in Motion was an initiative that I stood up to take care of three things. One, enhance how we communicate with industry, because I I have long felt that we in the government, especially in the procurement side of the business, don't always communicate as effectively as we could with industry. Um, We kind of talk past one another sometimes, especially on procurements. And I think that that does lead to misunderstandings. I don't think we always understand each other's business processes. So that was objective number one. Objective number two was to improve our business processes. How do I make sure that the business processes that we follow are the right business processes, achieve the right end objective, and aren't just stops along the way for a rubber stamp. I have always questioned, why do you need to look at that document? Or why am I writing this document? Do I need this document? So that was the second objective. And then the third one was the Procurement Innovation Lab. Let's promote innovation in procurement. Let's make sure we're maximizing and using all the flexibilities that are available to us, not only through our own legislation, the Homeland Security Act, but through the federal acquisition regulation. So acquisition innovations in motion, I laid that that process out and I partnered with my heads of contracting to say, we got to promote better communications with industry. Step one. And I created a couple of forums to do that. The first one is the strategic industry conversation. Once a year, we go out with senior executives who talk about 
the challenges that we confront as a department, what are some of the key objectives we're trying to fulfill, and how industry can support us. No solicitations, no contracts. It's really a true program-level discussion. The second one I call Reverse Industry Day. Reverse Industry Day is a complete departure from the way we normally engage with industry. I'm inviting industry to sit at the front of the room and tell us about their business processes, how they look at our solicitations, our contracts, our our approaches to doing things, and help us understand their perspective, how they approach things. This has been a phenomenal learning tool for our acquisition community because you have a lot of aha moments. Now I get it. Now I understand why you complain about this or why you won't participate in this or, you know, those kinds of things. Because we're really trying to understand how industry's perspective and it helps us write better solicitations. And then, of course, the other thing that we do are what we call acquisition innovation roundtables, where we bring a smaller group of people together to focus on a particular area where we could communicate better. The best example of that that I can give you is our security clearance process. Industry has always struggled with security clearances because they don't always understand our process. And I'm not sure that we've always communicated well. We're working with our chief security officer and the fantastic team that he has there and bringing some industry folks together to help us understand what some of the issues and concerns are. We now have a much better process and we've built uh, mechanisms into our systems to expedite our notifications to industry and how they get their paperwork in, helping them understand what we look for. Acquisition innovation roundtables are really focused on us understanding a particular issue or concern and trying to figure out how we can solve that particular issue or concern. Not looking for industry to advise us as much as tell us what your pain points are. These are the kinds of things that I've done to improve operations. And this includes my entire community. So it's not just myself and my oversight folks. It's actually heads of contracting. In fact, in some of these events, I actually have contracting officers or contract specialists who sit at the table with industry to learn about what they want to discuss on these acquisition innovation roundtables. As a result of that, we've really streamlined some processes, eliminated some steps internally. And the most important thing, we've really improved our conversations with industry. When I came to this department, industry days were primarily, or when I came to this department, when I came to this job, industry days were primarily centered around solicitations. Now, pretty much every component across DHS has industry days to talk about programs, what we're trying to achieve, the challenges we confront, inviting industry in to meet the officials that work these programs. That's exciting. I want to switch gears a little bit and and talk about internal. You mentioned the customers you serve, Mm -hmm. and those are the folks from the components Mm -hmm. uh, and also their their procurement people, if you will. Mm -hmm. So what are you doing? You kind of alluded to it, but I'd like to go a little deeper about your customer uh, service experience. Uh, how are you How are you enhancing that even further? So one of the things that I've long held because I was a customer of procurement is we don't always engage in the right conversation with our customers. And so what I'm trying to get our, our folks to understand and explore is how we better bring in the customer as early as possible. How do we get the customer to tell us well in advance, here are the kinds of things, here are the problems I'm trying to solve, here are some of the procurements that I think I'm going to need, or here's the problem. I don't really know if that's a procurement problem or if I really need procurement. So one of the things that we've been doing quite a bit off with some of our program offices is going out and having planning sessions with them where we actually sit down and explore 
What is it you're trying to do? Well, one of the best examples I can give you is our Office of the Chief Information Officer. They have huge challenges managing the infrastructure that we have in this department, and they have many challenges with the many contracts, you know, whether they're going to the cloud, data centers, et cetera. What we've been doing is actually holding a series of meetings with them, and sometimes uh, the CIO and I participate, but sometimes it's our staff, where we actually plan and strategize and talk about what is it that you need to do? What are your priorities? How do we get that out to industry and get feedback from them? So I'm going to give you a very recent example. Uh, Data center, our data center consolidation efforts. What we're looking at is data center consolidation and cloud optimization. Very challenging area. We have two data centers we're trying to consolidate down, two major data centers, I should say, trying to consolidate down to one. But we got our team together to talk to industry, no solicitation, just tell them, here's what we're trying to do. Here are the objectives we want to achieve. Here are some of the technologies that we're thinking about. We had customer as well as CIO and CPO, my, my office and the chief information officer, but our customers from Immigration and Customs Enforcement and Office of Biometrics and Identity Management to talk about here. Here's what we're trying to do. Here's what we're trying to achieve. And here's our timeline. No solicitation just the conversation so industry could hear what we're trying to do. That, to me, is where we add value to our customer. That's where we give our customer a good experience because what we're saying to them, we can learn from industry. You can talk to industry. I don't know if you've ever seen the Mythbusters memos that OMB puts out. Yeah. One of those is that we can't talk to industry. Far, the federal acquisition, I never talk about the FAR, but the federal acquisition, <laughs> it's my friend. The federal acquisition regulation does not say I cannot talk to industry. What the federal acquisition regulation says is that I cannot give one vendor a competitive advantage over another. That doesn't mean I can't talk to industry. We have to learn to have the right conversation, share information, get information in a proper venue. This type of webinar where we just do some advanced planning, we call that market research, but it's more than market research. It's really planning the procurement. Give us your feedback. Tell us what you think about what we're thinking about doing. Tell us if you've done this before. We host one-on-one sessions with industry to learn from them. So I'm excited that we're doing more and more of that, and I'm seeing that happening more and more, especially on these large procurements. And I think that's extremely important, and that's the way we give the customer a really good experience because those program officials need to have confidence in what they're doing. They need to know that we identify and understand their priority and that we're going to help them achieve that priority. So DHS embarked on an ambitious experiment to transform the often flawed model of how the government buys software development services. The goal was to attract and select new breed of companies who bring forward leading skills, deliver better software for people, and drive innovation in how DHS executes its mission. Can you elaborate on DHS plans for establishing new IT services procurement vehicles? So I know you're probably familiar with um, the the initiative that we have across government where we're trying to consolidate more our best-in-class contracts and, and promote category management principles and, and more strategic sourcing. Well, at DHS, we started doing strategic sourcing back in 2004. Uh, necessity drove us there because we were standing up and we needed to share resources and help one another out. So I'm very proud to say that we have one of the more robust strategic sourcing programs programs in government, and we embraced 
category management as soon as it came, and we are very early adopters and consistent adopters of best-in-class usage. However, my principle, as you know, is about mission. And so any vehicle that we adopt into our environment or any vehicle that we write has to be to support that mission. It has to fit. I can't force fit my requirement into a vehicle. So one of the things that we did, uh, I think most people are familiar that we have, we had omnibus contracts for IT services, that kind of stuff, Eagle One, Eagle Two. And we went out and tried to do a uh, software development contract, weren't very successful with it. Part of that was because I wasn't willing to have 50 companies on the contract. I wasn't just going to arbitrarily award uh, to companies because they were protesting. And part of that was because we did some some things that we should could have done better in our business process. That's that's part of innovating, right? But what we did, we took the approach as Eagle 2 is expiring, that we were not going to write another omnibus support services contracts because there were a bunch of them out there and they're really good. Ally, NCIOSP3, et cetera. So what we did was said, we're going to create a portfolio of contracts. And in that will be some of these best-in-class contracts, government-wide vehicles that we can use. In that might be some vehicles that we create to support our specific mission objectives. So that's the approach that we're taking. As opposed to a one-size-fits-all model, we're saying we're going to adopt those vehicles that really fulfill our needs, and we look at things like, um, you know, what are the services we can buy under those vehicles, but even the capabilities, the opportunities for small businesses and new companies to come into the fold. And then we will establish vehicles based on priorities and needs. An example that I'll give you is EIS. You know, we have sure. to adopt to EIS. We got to move from networks to EI, to a enterprise infrastructure services, uh, the new vehicle that JSA awarded a couple of years ago. So we're working with the CIO to establish those new tasks under EIS. In fact, we just released our first draft uh, statement of work. Uh, the data center and cloud optimization procurement is another example. That's unique to uh, DHS. And we're working with the components because sometimes the components have to have unique vehicles. You know, not all of our environments are the same. They work together to achieve the mission, but they have very unique mission sets and very unique capabilities. So what I want to do is create the model that says this is what works for DHS while supporting overall federal government initiatives. In other words, we're part of that. We should use those vehicles because if we're not using those vehicles, then we're taking valuable resources off the table to work on those unique needs. And can you tell us a little bit more about your efforts to protect the DHS procurement supply chain? How are you leveraging enterprise risk management to protect the procurement supply chain? I know that's been a hot topic lately. And So, first of all, uh, in fact, literally when I when I came into this position, we had already established a working group to look at how we could adopt language into our vehicles to protect the supply chain, to make sure, because um, right around the time that I came in was just after some significant data breaches had right. occurred both inside and outside of government. And so we came up with language working as a team. And when I say a team, I'm talking a big team. We had folks from what is today CISA, intelligence and analysis, the various CIO organizations across the department, privacy, I mean, you name it. We had them on that team. I think there were like probably about 30 people on the team. And you know when you get 30 people in a room to reach agreement, you're accomplishing something. So I, I give great kudos to my staff because we came out with language about how we're going to assess our contracts and what's the right language and the right level of um, security requirements that we're going to impose in our contract. And then we also came up with the right training formula, how we're going to train so that there's consistency across the community. And we put that responsibility of assessing what are our risk, you know, high risk contracts versus lower contract in the hands of the program managers, the privacy officers, the right folks based on the type of data and how they protect data. We've been very successful with using that. Um, you know, there are times that it doesn't apply 
supply and we gave a lot of flexibility. You didn't have to use everything, but, you know, you had to make decisions about that. So that's one step that we took. The other thing is we're part of the larger scrum effort or supply chain risk management effort across the department because there's more than just our contracts. There's the IT, there's work that we do with other agencies, et cetera. So we're part of a team with CIO, CISA, intelligence and analysis and others where we're establishing our procedures for the Department of Homeland Security and working day to day. But the short answer is when there's an issue, I have access to the right people. They come to me, we come together, we make our decisions and then communicate that out to our community. We look at the procedures that other agencies are following and we're certainly monitoring what CISA is doing because CISA has got the Gov. And I'm sorry, I keep saying CISA, Cyber Infrastructure Security Agency, which is part of DHS. They have the larger .gov effort, and we certainly want to be consistent with them. But we in procurement are an integral player. We are a part of that team, and we're continually monitoring. And look, the reality is that if you're going to protect the supply chain, the best place to protect it is in that acquisition planning phase before you even get out the buy. You want to know what's out there, what the risks are, so you can solve that problem at the very early stages of the procurement. So we go from the management of the supply chain, the management of risk, to the measuring of success in your organization, the effectiveness and efficiency of, of the procurement operation in DHS. How do you do that? What are, are there tools, measures, metrics? So, so I have a slew of metrics, but I focus on two sets of metrics. There are the metrics that are required, federally mandated metrics like competition, small business goals, et cetera. Um, but then I also look at what I call outcome-based metrics. Are we really delivering the services that we need to deliver? And are we delivering those services effectively? So there are measures that I take. We, we do customer satisfaction surveys with the customers that we serve, the heads of contracting. There are metrics that we take about our small business programs. So it's not just measuring how much small business we're using, but how are we effectively communicating with small businesses? Are we attracting new small businesses, companies that have never done business with DHS or companies that haven't done business with the government. Are our business processes efficient? We measure time, right? How long is it taking to do something? We also measure, believe it or not, because, you know, I, I, like I said, outcome-based, what's the value of this document that we just wrote? Is this something that we really need? Is there a better way to present this? So recently, I embarked on improving our acquisition planning process, and we cut down what was typically a 30-page document to three to five pages because it doesn't need to be a 30-page document, especially if you're already writing that stuff in other documents. So those are the kinds of things that I'm constantly measuring and how do my folks, and I actually have what I call division management reviews where division by division, my chiefs come in and brief me on what they're doing. But I actually meet with the heads of contract and we have a scorecard of their goals where I'm looking at, you know, what are your staffing levels? How are your people certified? Uh, are you getting your CPARs, your, your contractor performance assessment and reporting reports into the system? Are you uh, validating your data in the federal procurement data system to make sure that it's accurate data? Because that's what we rely on. So I'm constantly measuring all these things and having conversations uh, because sometimes, you know, organizations are going to have trouble meeting some of those goals. And I want to understand what problems they're having, how we can solve it, and how we can work together to promote better data and measure what we're doing and validate that what we're doing is working or maybe that we need to take a new approach. Um, I always tell my staff, if you measure it, it can get solved. If you don't measure it, nobody's going to know how well you're doing or how poorly you're doing either. What does the future hold for procurement and acquisition within the U.S. Department of Homeland Security? We will ask its chief procurement officer, Soraya Correa, when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour.
How can government best use big data to transform decision-making, public services delivery, and communication? The IBM Center Report, Integrating Big Data and Thick Data to Transform Public Services Delivery by Yan Yan Ang presents five recommendations for public managers introducing the concept of mixed analytics, urging thick data, meaning qualitative information about users, to be presented alongside big data to improve government decision-making. Visit businessofgovernment.org to read more. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Soraya Korea, Chief Procurement Officer at the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. Also joining me from IBM is Don Finhagen. So I'd like to, you, you just mentioned, uh, in measuring the success of your organization, you did mention small businesses. And um, you got an A-plus from the SBA, the Small Business Administration. Uh, could you tell us more about how you did that? How did you achieve that? Sure. So, uh, um, first of all, we have what I think is a world-class small business program. And I say that on behalf of the Office of Small and Disadvantaged Business uh, Utilization, which is a partner office to my office, even though they reside with my office. They're really a partner office. Um, but... That program got stood up literally when we stood up the department, and it has been a huge success. And the reason it's been successful, it's not just what we do. It's because we really believe in the small business program. We believe in the small businesses, and we make that a part of our conversation. In other words, not just because the federal acquisition regulation says you should, but because we know the value of small business. And we know the value of small business on our large procurements, meaning as subcontractors to large contracts, but also as small businesses working directly. And we really consider all of the socioeconomic programs and consider how can we achieve those goals, exceed those goals while fulfilling the DHS mission. So the conversation that happens, happens very early in the planning stations, and it's a partnership between the Office of Small and Disadvantaged Business Utilization and our heads of contracting organizations. And then we go together with the program offices to see What's the right fit? Where do we go get these small businesses? And we do a lot of homework about who's out there and what are they doing. So we talk to industry organizations. We have vendor outreach sessions where we invite small business in to learn about doing business with DHS to meet some of our larger vendors that they can work with, but also to meet our small business specialists and our industry liaisons. So our program works because it is really a partnership and is really about bringing in the right small businesses. And it's so successful that for 10 years in a row, a large agency like ours, in fact, I think we were ranked fifth highest. We've either had an A or an A plus and a little birdie whispered that we might get lucky and get another A plus. And it's interesting because the formula really works. The formula really works because we do care about small business. They are the backbone of our economy. They create and promote jobs. They bring us innovation and you know, we need those industries. In fact, I always tell the large businesses, you remember what you were when you started out? You're a small business. Um, so I'm a big fan of making sure that we create those partnerships and those opportunities and that we consider all the socioeconomic programs. And by the way, as a senior procurement executive, I'm the, one of the first people that touts our small business program and talks to people about coming to our small business program and being a part of it. That's great. And, and maybe a little follow-up is... You know, for all the people out there thinking about starting a small business or for industry that's working with small businesses, what's the most challenging category for you to fulfill or do you have one? You know, is the one that we need more of? So all of them 
or challenging, yeah. depending on what you're buying. Um, we've been successful pretty much in all the categories. I would say that still HubZone and, you, of course, now women-owned because, you know, mm-hmm. that's come into play. And, of course, service-disabled, veteran-owned, small business. But one of the good things about us at DHS is that we think about that. We think about where we're having challenges. And so sometimes we look to the community. We go out and talk to industry associations to try to learn what companies are out there. So an example I'll give you, we stood up a program called PACS when I was the head of contracting at Office of Procurement Operations because we were having trouble fulfilling the service-disabled veteran-owned small business goal. So a bunch of us got together and said, well, we do all these little orders for like professional, administrative-type, clerical-type services. What if we aggregated those? Are there disabled, service-disabled, veteran-owned small businesses that could do this? Well, lo and behold, there were. So we stood up PACs specifically set aside for that community. My point is, this was a community that got served, and we didn't force people to use it. We just said, here's a vehicle. You can use it, and here's the advantages to use again. We had some really good companies. And some of the companies in there have gone on to grow and graduated from the program, and now they're called mid-tiers, and they come and yell at me about not having a good mid-tier program. But that's another conversation. (laughs) But it's exciting to hear that we were able to do that and that in the first year of its existence, we achieved our goals. And since then, we've been exceeding our goals. Similarly, we've done that with hub zones. uh, We've done that with women-owned small businesses. So it's exciting to be able to think strategically about how we achieve the goal while serving the mission. What do you want to achieve in the next two years? What do you want to, how do you want to leave your mark here? When I, when I think about my future or when I think about what my legacy will be, uh, I always think about the people. It is about having the right workforce with the right mindset to achieve the mission objectives of this department. I want people who care about the job, care about the profession, who are passionate and want to do great things. They they believe in our government because that's what I believe in. So when I think about the future, I'm constantly thinking about that right workforce and how do I create programs like our Acquisition Professionals Career Program. We're getting ready to start up another intern program where I want to bring people in and teach them from the ground up. This is what government service is about. Nice follow-up on that. What advice would you give someone who's thinking about a career in public service? What I would say to them is, you know what? It's exciting. It's, it's, it's a different opportunity. You don't realize all the things that you will be able to do and achieve when you serve uh, in the government. Um, I, I always think back on my career and the things that I did. I traveled to interesting locations and some not so interesting <laughs> locations. But the decisions, the power that I've had to make certain decisions and accomplish certain things, the things that I've learned about the missions that we serve and and how we serve the public. A lot of people don't really understand what public service is. What I often tell people is think about it this way. That Social Security check gets cut because we're here. This homeland gets protected because we're here. Those dignitaries that come to visit us get protected because we're here. The environment is better because we're here. We have to think about that. We can't just think about procurement in isolation. What we do enables mission every single day. And so what I tell people when you want to come into public service, what you got to be prepared for is you're probably going to work really hard. And you're probably not going to make a ton of money, but boy, are you going to feel good at the end of the day knowing what you accomplish. You're going to turn on that news and you're going to see 
what you do. Sometimes you see the bad news part of what you do, but that's okay. You're going to see what you do. You're going to see your TSA, well, for DHS, you're going to see my TSA folks out there, my Secret Service folks out there doing that job. And I can't tell you how proud I feel every day when I see those folks out there, when I walk through an airport and I encounter those folks. It's an honor and a privilege to be in public service. Well, we want to thank you for your dedicated service to the country. Thank you. Thank you. This has been the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with Soraya Correa, Chief Procurement Officer at the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. My co-host from IBM has been Don Finhagen. Be sure to join us next week for another informative, insightful, and in-depth conversation on improving government and its effectiveness. For the Business of Government Hour, I'm Michael Keegan, and thanks for joining us. This has been the Business of Government Hour. Be sure to visit us on the web at businessofgovernment.org. There you can learn more about our programs and get a transcript of today's conversation. Until next week, it's businessofgovernment.org. Each week on the Business of Government Hour, government executives and thought leaders join host Michael Keegan for an informative, insightful, and in-depth conversation on improving government and its effectiveness. These individuals are truly changing the way government does business. So join them each week on the Business of Government Hour. Find out how the business of government isn't business as usual. The Business of Government Hour, every Monday at 11 a.m. on Federal News Network.